we're going to talk about cholesterol again. We saw this already, one little thing added at the bottom, cholesterol is also important for waterproofing your skin. Dietary cholesterol, uh, we can get it we can get cholesterol from dietary absorption or we can make it ourselves. The more you get in your diet, the less your body makes by itself. Um, triglycerides are the storage form of lipid and we use them in long-term storage in your adipose tissue. So this, this, and this, triglycerides are what are being stored there. So we already saw that slide. All right, plasma lipoprotein function. They function as carrier molecules. We have a hydrophobic core, well, lipid core, with a hydrophilic shell, just like a cell. Um, and that hydrophilic shell is made out of phospholipids plus an apolipoprotein, which is going to determine partly what this thing does. And I am not going to test you on all of this stuff. It's just for future reference. Um, we already did that one. All right, VLDL, just very, very quickly. VLDLs carry triglycerides, and they deliver, they deliver triglycerides to muscle and adipose tissue. Clinical significance is that it accounts for nearly all of the triglycerides in your blood, and normal triglycerides, sometimes they'll just call these triglyceride levels. They won't say VLDL. So VLDL and triglyceride levels are basically the same. So the normal level is less than 150. Over 150 is called, in, partly, in part, metabolic syndrome. And if a patient has higher than 400, they are at increased risk for pancreatitis. You will need to know these last three things. And you'll need to know that VLDL equals triglycerides. LDL. LDL has a cholesterol core, and its job is to deliver cholesterol from the liver to cells. If the cells need the cholesterol, they go and suck it in. In order to suck it in, they need to have LDL receptors. The more cholesterol a cell wants, the more receptors it makes. Does that make sense? Okay. Um, clinical significance. There's a direct correlation with heart disease, according to uh, the establishment and a 25% reduction of elevated LDL has been correlated with up to a 50% reduction in MI. We'll talk about this later on next year in research. What? That's why it's called bad cholesterol. Because if you lower it, supposedly it will lower heart attacks. If you lower LDL, if you want less of it, you have lower heart attacks. So having high levels would be bad. That's why it's called bad cholesterol. Yes, in part, anyway. Yeah. All right. Next, we have HDL, also called good cholesterol, because higher levels have been associated with protection from heart attacks. Again, it has a cholesterol core, but the purpose of HDL is to take cholesterol from the body back to the liver. So it actually removes cholesterol from your system. The clinical significance, well, it promotes cholesterol removal, Low HDL cholesterol is associated with increased of atherosclerosis. Now, there are several subtypes of HDL, and only one of them is good. So just because you have high HDL levels doesn't mean you have high of the good stuff. 
So again, there's some issues with that. So it's important, perhaps, to get what they call a subtype analysis to see which kind of HDL you have. But again, that's newer and more expensive and blah, 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 blah. Um, the role of cholesterol in atherosclerosis. LDL is benign, meaning it doesn't do any, any harm until it gets oxidized in the subendothelial space. What, once it becomes oxidized in there, it becomes trapped and then gets eaten by macrophages, which become foam cells, which in turn become fatty streaks and then atherosclerotic plaques. Um, in the absence of chronic inflammation, this will not happen. And uh, there you go. Oh, by the way, there's some researchers who think that the way LDL gets oxidized is that you eat oxidized fats. So they say you should never eat polyunsaturated fats because those are the most likely to become oxidized. So you should only eat saturated fats. But that is not the mainstream thought. The mainstream thought is that if you eat butter, you're going to die. A horrible, painful heart disease death. I don't have any thoughts in this class at all. I only have thoughts. I only have thoughts. To, I only have thoughts in research class. All right. We already talked about this. The important thing for you to remember here is total cholesterol above 240 is definitely high. Between 200 and 240 is kind of a gray zone. Under 200 is considered optimal. For LDL, the target is going to depend on other risk factors. See, depending on risk factors, depending on risk factors. HDL always should be higher than 40 for, for men, always higher than 50 for women, and triglycerides 150. Yes, it should. You are absolutely correct. Optimal for triglycerides is under 100 fasting, but under 150 is considered normal. Okay, determinants of treatment goals. There are several schemes that determine how, a how aggressively someone should be treated. So the first one is on the number of coronary artery disease risk factors. If you have one risk factor, you have a goal that's not as hard to reach. If you have two risk factors, your cholesterol needs to be even lower. And if you have three, three risk factors, your cholesterol needs to be even lower than that. Does that make sense? So basically, the more cardiovascular risk factors you have, the lower they want the cholesterol to be. Another thing is called a 10-year Framingham risk score. Um, Framingham is a little town in Massachusetts where they studied people for 10 years and then saw how many of them got heart attacks and they saw which one of them at the beginning of the study had high blood pressure and who was overweight and how much exercise they do, did they smoke and what was their cholesterol levels. And if they had a Framingham risk score of 20 or higher, then you're, you've got to have more uh, aggressive treatment. And then if someone has what's called a coronary heart disease equivalent. So basically, if they've had an MI, they need to be treated with for cholesterol. If they've had diabetes, they need to be treated for cholesterol, even if their cholesterol is normal. And if they have an other atherosclerotic disease, such as peripheral arterial disease or carotid atherosclerosis, they need to be treated more aggressively for cholesterol. Got it? 
Uh, triple A is aortic, abdominal aortic aneurysm. Right. If, even if they don't have high cholesterol, if they have one of these other things, they should be treated for cholesterol. Yeah, well, yes. If they've had an MI, they need to be treated. Now, some of the controversy comes in how they're treated. And really, the only drug that's really shown true benefit in lowering heart disease is in terms of cholesterol treatment. The only drug class, statins. Got to get that one. Statins. Okay, treatment of cholesterol. The recommendations are that we start with a therapeutic lifestyle changes, TLC, which should include low cholesterol diet, low fat diet, uh, losing weight, exercise, and smoking cessation. Um, by the way, exercise and smoking cessation also help H, um, HDL. Drug therapy would be the primary goal is to lower LDL. Why is that? Because the best drugs we have lower LDL. So, you know, when your only tool is a hammer, every problem looks like a nail. So if the best drug you have is a statin, and what those drugs do best is lower LDL, your treatment goal is going to be lower LDL. They had a drug that was supposed to raise HDL, but it was pretty much a flop. I don't know, I can't remember the exact reason, but it just, it never really made it to market because it didn't work very well. Secondary targets other than LDL would include, include reducing metabolic syndrome, lowering triglycerides, and raising HDL. We have drug, we have some drugs that do that. Um, statins, in addition to lowering LDL, will also raise HDL a little bit, and some of the other drugs also raise HDL. Do you know how there's a lot of people coming in for alternative therapies and pharmacies, and doctors instructing them to take red yeast rice? Do you know about that? I'll talk about red yeast rice in just a moment. Okay. okay. So, see table 48.7 for the drug classes. There's a nice little summary table there. Basically, we've got statins, bile acids, sequestrants, fibrates, and niacin although I'm going to do them in a slightly different order. Wow, that's small. Can you read that on your page? No. <clears throat> All right. Maybe we need to have you buy magnifying glasses when you come into nursing. <laughs> need a jeweler's loop. All right. Mechanism of statins, they inhibit an enzyme, um, and they also cause an increase in the number of liver LDL receptors. They lower LDL better than anything else we have, they also have a slight effect on raising HDL and lowering triglycerides. In addition, there's some non-lipid effects. They stabilize atherosclerotic plaques. They reduce the plaque inflammation. They slow coronary artery calcification. They improve endothelial function. They enhance vasodilation. They reduce the risk of atrial fibrillation, and they reduce the risk of thrombosis. Wow, that's a lot of stuff. So again, some people think that statins have a benefit primarily through these other things, and they, they think that the cholesterol lowering is almost a side effect. But the official, the official party line is the lowering of the LDL that does the help. Treating heart disease or treating cholesterol, um, you can use them to treat cholesterol, and you can also use them to treat heart disease in the absence of high cholesterol. 
you can, you can use them to treat high cholesterol by itself, and you can also use them to treat heart disease, even if the patient doesn't have high cholesterol. So if a person has diabetes, but they don't have high cholesterol, they should still be on a statin. If they've had a heart attack, they should be on a statin, even if their cholesterol is normal. That's what that means. Um, they're pretty well absorbed in the gut. Most statins are completely sequestered in the liver, which means that you're not going to find them in any other tissue. Um, several of them interfere with the liver degrading other drugs, which means that they can er interact with other drugs. And we'll talk about those interactions in a second. Um, generally speaking, you want to dose them at night because that's when the body produces cholesterol. Adverse effects, liver damage um, happens in about 0.5 to 2% of patients treated each year or more than one year. Myopathy, uh, which can cause, my, uh, myopathy, which is muscle pain, can cause 1 to 5% of patients. That can lead to myositis, which is inflammation of the muscle, which can in turn lead to rhabdomyolysis, which can be life-threatening, but that happens very, very rarely, about 0.15 cases per million prescriptions. But there's millions of people on these drugs, so that's a couple people every year who get them. Interactions. Interacts with fibrates to increase myopathy. Agents that also uh, use this particular liver enzyme, such as cyclosporin, macrolides, give me a name of a macrolide, erythromycin, and zithromax. So these guys can possibly interact with some, with some uh, lipid, some whatever you call them, statins. Azole antifungals like ketoconazole, HIV drugs, um, and grapefruit juice. So depending, like if the person's on Lipitor, they're not supposed to drink grapefruit juice. Never give these to a pregnant woman. Give them at night, and if you're on lovastatin, they need to eat that with the meal or it won't be absorbed properly. Now, Harmony had just asked me about red yeast rice. As it turns out, red yeast rice produces an enzyme that is remarkably similar to lovastatin. So red yeast rice will reduce cholesterol, but there's a twist. There's always a twist. Even though red yeast rice naturally produces basically lovastatin, in the United States a while back, the company that produced lovastatin brought a lawsuit against all of these companies that were producing red yeast rice saying it was an infringement on their patent. So in the United States for a while, the red yeast rice didn't have any red yeast rice in it. But I think, I think now, now their patent has expired, so I think that's gone away now, but it was a very funky situation. But yes, red yeast rice will, red rice yeast, will lower cholesterol because it has lovastatin in it. Which brings us back to a very interesting question. Why do people have no problem taking the drug when it's produced by a yeast, but they won't take it when it's produced by a factory? It's... <laughs> yes. Anyway. All right. Yeah, they'll take anything except for an actual medication. Yeah. Yeah. Foxglove, give me some of that. 
foxglove is is a plant that we get digoxin from, and it's a poison. Yeah. All right, nicotinic acid. This one is really, really tiny. Um, the major thing you need to know about niacin, it raises HDL better than anything else we have. Um, you, use it, you can also use it to lower triglycerides in patients who have high triglyceride levels and are at risk for pancreatitis. The major adverse effect is flushing and itching, like beet lobster red and itching, GI upset, and there's an interesting thing. There's three different ways it's available. There's a fast release you can get over the counter. That one really doesn't, that one has an incredible amount of flushing associated with it. So people don't like to take it. So then there's a sustained release that's also available over the counter. The problem with that one is it's dangerous to your liver. So then there's a medium release they call extended release called niospan, and that one is prescription only. And that one has fewer side effects than the fast release. Yes. No, it raises HDL. You use it for lo low HDL. So if you have low HDL, you would take it. Oh, what this says is it decreases production of VLDLs, and then as far as HDL, we don't know what the mechanism is. That's what that means. Oh, okay. Supposed to mean. Yes, I can see how that might be confusing. It also raises homocysteine, and homocysteine is associated with higher heart attacks, so that's not necessarily a good thing. We're not sure if it's damaging or not. Um, and then there's a rarer problem. It can actually cause um, gouty arthritis. Bioacid sequestrants, we talked about these yesterday. I don't have anything more to say about them. Fibrates, the only thing I want to say about fibrates is that they lower triglycerides better than they do the other two. So they're typically used in patients who have high triglyceride levels. Um, fibrates like fiber? What? Like fibrates like no, no, it's not. The two drug names are gemfibrozil and phenofibrate. And those are going to be used for lowering, they, they affect all three, but primarily you're going to be lowering triglycerides with them. If you give them in combination with, um, with statins, you can increase the patient's risk of rhabdomyolysis. Last one is Zetia. In Zetia, there's no drug class. There's only one drug in the class, so it's just called Zetia. And what it does is it prevents your body from absorbing cholesterol. So you just poop it out instead of absorbing it. It lowers cholesterol pretty well, especially if you combine it with a statin. And there's actually a combination of simvastatin plus plus Zetia called Vitorin. Oh, I've seen commercials for Vitorin. Now, the problem with Zetia is that studies have shown even though it lowers cholesterol, there is zero effect on heart disease. So they're beginning to say, you know, let's not prescribe Zetia anymore. And that's it for the supplemental materials.